Welcome back to Roots and Branches here at New Life Evangelical Free Church. My name is Paul Arnberg, your host, with Pastor Brent Kumpelin. I've been away on a Long Springs rest, not really a rest. I was wrapping up uh, Jughead's Youth Juggling Company, the tentmaker youth ministry I've been doing for about a quarter century. And uh, while it was a good ending, I have missed being here with you, Brent, and glad to be back here talking about transformational outcomes. And if you keep me score at home, this is episode 20, and I love to associate numbers with my life. And 20 is a very special year. Not only did I learn to juggle at age 20, I also learned to work with kids at a camp in California, where you're from, actually, you're most of your childhood, but also I started courting my wife, Wendy. So 20 years old is a very dear number to me, and therefore, <laughs> episode 20, let's make this a good one. Oh, I can't wait. I'm so glad to have you back, Paul. So Thank you. Yeah. Oh, uh, and I, I should give props, yeah. by the way. Uh, I did listen to all three episodes with Stephen Jelks. If you are listening now and did not hear episodes yes. 17, 18, and 19, Stephen Jelks is a member here at New Life, and he is an architect extraordinaire. He is very knowledgeable, and he's knowledgeable of the Word of God. So go back and listen to that. It does directly relate to our Roots and Branches campaign because of the objectivity of beauty, of design, of foundations, all those things that are both applicable to our daily lives and new life specifically as we are still really focused on expanding our ministries through our building project. That's right. I'd highly recommend it too. It was real fun to sit down with Stephen, so grateful for that. Well, today, as you said, we're talking about transformational outcomes. We've been doing a series on those, and today's theme is talking about moving from relative truth to biblical truth. And it's such a transform or an important transformational outcome because of the kind of moment we live in. And a lot of times when we start these new you know episodes about different outcomes that we're uh, aiming for as disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, we reflect on the current kind of cultural climate and moment and and what it's like to live in the world today. And moving from relative truth to biblical truth is something that is critical as a shift because it gets down to the very core of how we know and what we believe is true and where is the source of that That's right. truth and who does that truth come from and, and what does it mean in terms of how we live day to day. So it affects so many things. And so that's where we're going to start today is a little bit of reflection on our kind of times that we live, but then also look at how can we understand uh, from a, a biblical point of view and as, a, as disciples of Jesus, um, what it means to live in God's truth, and uh, what's the difference between that and relative truth. So let's start by defining a few key terms. Sure. So one of the things we talked before we were getting on the air here was some of the important words that go around related to, to this shift. And, and one of them is um, the difference between subjective and objective truth or truth claims or things that that are. And so uh, we want to just kind of unfold that a little bit. So what do we mean by the difference between something that is subjective versus objective when it comes to truth? How does that first strike you and what comes to mind, Paul? Well, uh, subjectivity, the, the first synonym I think of is opinion. It's merely opinion, and everyone's opinion is as good as the other, so we're told. And therefore, subjectivity, while there is certainly merit to that, I mean, we could have different tastes literally as we eat, yeah. or as we watch, or as we play, or as we work, but there is an underlying objectivity that is some things are inherently wrong and ugly and and uh, evil and some things are inherently beautiful and good and righteous and so uh what we have to do as christians is navigate what are the 
what's the liberty in Christ to, to have different tastes, but what is the foundation upon which all of our opinions should be? Because if we get into our, uh, one of my common prayers, Brent, yeah. and I do this daily, almost daily, especially in, in this current era of my life, Lord, do not leave me to my own devices. Mm. Even me as an opinionated person where any topic under the sun, I have top hundred lists for movies and I have top lists of everything I love to do. <laughs> um, I have my preferences for being not a morning person, et cetera. But I say, please don't leave me to myself because I am not smart enough or wise enough or experienced enough to even have my opinions be trusted. I need to base them on the word of God or I will drift away, away from him. Yeah. I, and this is why we want to kind of expound the nuance of this theme of something that is subjective because as you said there are there's some legitimacy to having a, a, a certain taste for a food or or you find that you're attracted to your spouse for certain reasons because you see something in them now the thing even though you have a certain subjectivity to the things that you prefer there is still a connection to something deeper something objective yes. and so it's never like pure subjectivity mm-hmm. I, at least in in my sense of it like i can't see how that actually exists because mm-hmm. there's something about even how we evaluate our own preferences and tastes that we are connecting even subconsciously to some kind of greater truth or greater reality. Mm-hmm. So we see something and we say, well, I like that because it's very rare that you just have a pure subjective. I and mean, I can't really see how that would happen. Yes. Well, you know, interesting, just last night we were talking after a meeting with Jeff Moulton, our dear friend, who's the chair of the Roots and Branches campaign. And uh, we were talking about sugar addiction. It's interesting. And so the thing that pops into my mind right yeah. now, as I often think spontaneously, uh, sugar addiction is based on a, a subjective opinion. Like I want sugar, but I'll tell you what, the underlying cause of sugar addiction is a skewed view of nutrition. And so similarly, we might think we have subjective opinions that, oh, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you base even your subjective opinions on, on trends and habits that are rooted in unhealthiness, uh, that, yeah. that's just interesting way to look at it, that when you just said that all subjectivity still has to be rooted in truth, that's true. And we need to examine every area of our lives so that if we do have subjectivity that, that skews wrong, uh, or even unhealthy, as the case of the sugar example, we need to look at the root cause. Why am I subjectively drawn to this? Or or in the case of a spouse, why do I love aspects of my wife that I can't explain? I believe it's rooted in the fact that God meant us to be one man, one woman for life. Therefore, let me appreciate every part of her. And any annoyance that might come up might not be pure subjectivity. It's like, no, I need to overcome something else that is not uh, of the Lord. Yeah, yeah. And I think where we need to to ponder when we think of relative truth, which is really like that's another term for this. When we talk about subject subjectivity, um, a radical version of subjectivity is a worldview that it really permeates so much of the culture that we live in now of relative mm-hmm. truth, but relativity in the sense that um, it's it, uh, the, the thing that's interesting about it is we talk about the nuance of it is people who would. Uh, kind of su- subscribe to or live in a relative truth culture or framework will uh, sort of, um, it can't really live to its logical conclusion because at the end of the day, there's still a claim that 
the truth that I claim has some kind of superiority over other ones. Yes. Like it can't really ultimately be like a perfectly equitable, all things are subjective. And so it doesn't really matter because if you just look at the current climate that we're in, if, if it like in the pure sense of subjectivity, if all was the same and it didn't really matter, why in the world are we arguing so much uh, about what we believe about certain things? Like the right. division is because we actually think there is a right way. That's right. And so people fight about it. So we actually, we live with very, a very, like the very lens within which we view the world, whether we, whether we know it or not, or say it out loud or not, is actually a craving for objective reality, Mm -hmm. a craving for, and a wiring towards real, objective, eternal truth. Yes. Something that is solid that we can rely upon. And the, 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 the reality of the world we're in now, radical subjectivity, uh, relative truth in terms of a worldview is built on the source of that. Those claims come from within me. That's right. Yeah. It's, it's, that's the ultimate subjectivity is from within myself. That is not a good source of reliance. Yeah. I, I, the verse that came to my mind is, um, e- Ecclesiastes three eleven. Uh, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. And so yeah. what eternity, there's, I don't think of anything other than the Lord himself that's more objective than eternity. What are we doing for eternity? And therefore, that is a measure that is beyond all understanding except revealed understanding, which we'll get to in next episode. Yeah, right? exactly. And that's where this is going to go. So when we, when, we, when we get into this other term of objective truth versus subjective I think um, the, the the question that we need to ask ourselves is where are, is the source of authority in our lives? Mm-hmm. Where is the source of what we f- what we know and what we feel or what we understand as right and wrong or what we understand as things that compel us in life? You know, sometimes we don't think in such black and white terms of like, well, that's right and that's wrong. Often we get out of out of bed in the morning. And we have these more uh, fluid kind of understandings of, of its motivation. It's like, well, why do I go and do this? Or why do I feel like I need to go? Uh, uh, why do I need this in my life? It's, it's betraying or it's starting to help us to understand the deeper longings of our hearts. And if you subscribe to and then live into a pure subjective truth kind of claim, then all of that comes from within. It comes mm. from how you feel. Mm-hmm. It comes from your interpretation of things, and it comes from a trust in your inner desires. Yes. And that's where it gets sideways really fast. Yep. Because, wow, the implications of that are to set you adrift. Mm-hmm, that's right. And that's, that is not a, it's not a good, not a healthy, it's not going to lead to your flourishing to have uh, everything be filtered through that inner lens that I then have to project out and out into the world. That's why one of my least favorite modern cliches is trust your heart, follow your heart. No, as Jeremiah 17, nine, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can understand it? I do not trust my heart. I can't because it's unreliable. It's the Lord and his love. And yeah, we'll get into this in a minute, but through his creation, that's very, very objective. If you run into a brick wall, you yeah. will get hurt. And brick walls do not disappear <laughs> just because we don't believe they're there. Yeah. So again, what we're getting at here is that is that the pure radical subjectivity, like that doesn't, that's really a myth. 
that mm-hmm. can't that's exist. That's right. Yeah. Because we're all we're all actually um, longing for and craving something solid that we can stand upon. Mm-hmm. But where is that going to come from? It's not going to come from me conjuring it up. There's some greater truth and reality. And like, so let's just do like a like quick understanding of this. Um, we're one of the first cultures and one of the, like the only in the history of humankind that has basically said, we're going to try doing things without objective truth. Wow. But the reality is every day we're sort of um, living in that same reality. If we claim science uh, as our, as our like way of understanding the world, mm-hmm. that is an objective truth claim. But then on the other side of your mouth, you'll have people who would rely on science, but then, uh, but then do relativity in their moral That's choices right. or yes. something like that. People right? that live uh, what we would say conservative lifestyles, they have uh, stable families, stable jobs, they, they tithe, they give, you know, they pay their taxes, but then they say there's licentiousness all around. Well, wait a minute, you're not living like that. You're living objectively and you're living with a certain moral code, but you're saying that it doesn't matter for anybody else. That is inconsistent. Yeah. Yeah, so this plays out in a hundred ways. But yep. one example that came to mind for me, just in terms of trying to understand the objective and subjective, is um, things that have to do with with beauty, mm. art, architecture, uh, creative fields. Mm-hmm. And today, it's very it's very popular. It's sort of the the modern. Um, if you're an artist out there, you probably know so much more about this than I do. So I'm just going to give you my rudimentary understanding. Yeah. But a lot of modern art is self expression, mm. and there is some validity to the need to um, bring emotions to the fore and help people understand the depth of human experience. Like, I understand all of that. Uh, the more classical version of art in its various forms is to be a, a, a reflection of or a mirror of a higher reality mm-hmm. that is where ultimate truth and beauty and goodness exist and come from. And so then art is about representing the good, the true and the beautiful, the transcendentals, if Mm -hmm. you will, um, sort of a classical way of understanding that. So yes, there is some goodness in expressing, uh, what it means to live the human experience. However, um, there are ways that we all recognize that goodness, truth, beauty, that they have an objective, antecedent. Mm -hmm. Like there is some connected point on the other end of the line that we point to when we say, wow, that is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Behind that statement is not pure subjectivity. It can't be. Mm -mm. Behind that statement is another statement, which is it's reflective of something bigger and that is the ultimate. And the, the, the claim that is beautiful, um, it is, it's a revelation of something more. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you check your heart, if you, <laughs> there's a longing for that. Like there's a desire for that s- to know that deeper reality that yes. is beyond me, mm-hmm. that's revealed in ways that aren't about me or that don't depend on me and my thoughts. That's right. And I think that's really the shift that needs to happen yeah. in us. Yeah. Well, and I, what comes to my mind too, in a, <clears throat> a more lighthearted approach, I, I got Creation Magazine a few years ago and there was a cover, The Science of Cute, 
when you talk about the objective <laughs> reality be, behind something that's beautiful. And, and it went into detail scientifically how the symmetry of, let's say, of a kitten's head or a puppy's head, if you're a dog person, uh, and, uh, and the idea of the symmetry of the eyes and the shape of the head and, and, the, and the softness of the fur. But then <clears throat> take it a step further, uh, when any one of us have a special needs child or, or a pet that's ill or even ourselves, or, or let's say an aging spouse and you're mm. caring of the spouse with cancer or something like that, well, then the the uh, objective truth goes much, much deeper because they say it's way beyond surface level. It's the yeah. relationship. It's the history. And it's the inherent sanctity of that little life or a human life that makes us deeply long for loving that person beyond the surface scientific argument for mm -hmm. beauty. And so that's the other thing that's wonderful about the Lord. He's manifold in his layers, as it were, yep. of how beauty is expressed. Yes, it's physical. It's visual. But it's also through the love, the affection, through the senses, yep. through the history, and through the ultimate hope of eternal glory. Yes, yeah, and it's exactly right. And and another dimension of this is and that that sort of betrays our desire for or our need for objective truth is the reality of consequences. Mm, yes. So if you think about this, in a in a perfect sort of vacuum of radical subjectivity. Uh, if all things were equal and, and it didn't really matter and there was no necessarily right or wrong and you could choose whatever you want to do, you have to also put consequences on the altar and sacrifice those at that point. Like mm. you you can't believe in the fact that there are certain consequences to good or bad choices. Mm. And so those things kind of go out the window because in order to live in that perfect subjective reality, you'd have to let them go. Yeah. So, But we all know that's not true. Mm -hmm. So uh, what sort of reveals the fact that there is objectivity is the fact that there are consequences to actions. Yes. And so you have often, and it can be as simple as a one-to-one -one correspondence, if you choose A, you will get hurt. Mm -hmm. If you choose B, you won't get hurt. Mm -hmm. Like that's an objective reality. And anybody who's like as a kid who's touched a hot stove oh, when yes. your mom told you not to, yeah. you've learned a real important lesson about the uh, uh, object objective truth versus your opinion. Yes. Because <laughs> you could say, it's not hot, mom. And it's like, no, it actually is. <laughs> yes. So uh, consequences are one of those uh, things to ponder that betray the reality that objective truth has to exist. That's right. Yep. Consequences. that, And that is... It's actually a gift. It's the uh, when I was in the Sunday Night Radio show thirty years ago, there was a song that Mike Donnelly wrote, Michael Pierce Donnelly, "Love Command," and it was just it was kind of a fun. It was almost like he wrote it for VBS. I think it was "Love Command." It was kind of a, a nice little campy rap, which Mike wouldn't mind me saying it's camp <laughs> because he had all sorts of musical styles. But the idea of "Love Command." Any command of the Lord to not do something is not by mere prohibition. It's because he loves us so much, he doesn't want our finger to get burned in the stove or our marriage to dissolve through wanton or even thoughtful infidelity. Yeah. It is objective because he wants to preserve our lives from destruction. Yeah, so your point is so good that the reality of objectivity, of the fact that there is a secure, solid, objective truth, that there is... Re, like a, a, a reality like that, it's for our good. Yes, it is for our flourishing. Mm -hmm. It's for, it's 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 for us to genuinely live in the reality of being God's image bearers, mm -hmm. as we've talked about previously on this podcast. 
uh, as we talked the book of Genesis and all mm-hmm. the way through the scriptures. Dominion, to have dominion over his creation. Yeah. And that doesn't mean merely lording it over. It means stewarding. It yep. means cultivating. It means flourishing both uh, in our lives and in the, in the agriculture and in the occupations and the worship. Everything, everything is under the Lord's dominion as far as what he wants us to do with objective truth. That's right. So so here's the corner we need to turn here for yes. this, the last part of this episode is is how do we understand uh, moving from relative truth to biblical truth? And how do we understand this sense of 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 uh, objective objective truth when we when we look at scripture? We look at uh, things um, uh, a description biblically of what that means. So a, 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 a passage that came to mind for me is Psalm 19. Yes, and it's one of my favorites. I agree. And Psalm 19 is is so clear in its description as the psalmist is writing about the reality of God's creation and how it reveals something bigger, grander, and greater, namely God Himself. And so, mm. Psalm 19 uh, has these words, uh, starting in verse one: "The heavens declare the glory of God; the skies proclaim the works of his, the work of His hands." Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard for them from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. It is so beautiful mm-hmm. to see how this psalm uh, lets us see God's creation. And namely, he talks about the heavens and the skies. I mean, like the grandness as you look up. And if you've ever been out camping or you've gone up to Boundary Waters or you go outside of off the grid a little bit, Mm -hmm. man, when you get into a place where uh, you can see all of the expanse of stars, it is breathtaking. Yeah, it is How huge the sky, like the universe is, and you're only seeing a tiny slice of it because you're aiming in one direction. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Right? You can't see it all. But this is proclaiming the glory of God. Like mm. there's something that draws us to, to a bigger reality, who namely is the personal God uh, himself. Yeah, speaking of namely, one, one of my favorite astronomical examples that I've used for many years with the Jugheads, and for that matter, any other young people I know is uh, use each other's names because there's enough stars estimated in the universe for each person currently on the earth to have two trillion stars per person. And God Whoa. named every star. Yeah. And that's Psalm 147.4, I believe. Uh, so if God could name every single star and we look up in one direction and see trillions, yeah. your name is precious. And we know that theme of the name, the name of the Lord, the, he knows us by name and he'll give us a new name on the new earth with, on a white stone that no one knows but that person who yeah. overcame according to Revelation 2 or 3. And so uh, astronomy is a wonderful teacher about the enormity of God, but then we reduce it back and the way he loves us even more than the physical creation, which is amazing. Praise God for his love. Yes, it blows my mind too. I love it. I love it. So that's a classic passage. There are a number of others, but when, you know, listeners, if you think of how do I, how do I, what is it that I feel when I am outside in, in creation or, or when I see something that is beautiful and good and true. And I say, wow, that is amazing. The longing, the deeper thing that you're, uh, that you sense is uh, a longing for the glory of God himself. Yes. I'm going to chime in with another verse, Brent. We didn't plan this pre-show, but uh, Psalm eight, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Uh, 
you have set your glory above the heavens, and then skipping down to verse three, uh-huh. when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, back to that handiwork, yep. the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Of course, that's quoted by the yeah. writer of Hebrews in it Hebrews is. one and two. Yep. And so I, I love it. And so every time, the other night here in Minnesota, I saw a, what I would maybe call a harvest moon, maybe a blood moon. It was over the horizon. I was yeah. driving home with Wendy. I said, look at that awesome moon. And right away I said, what is man that you're mindful of him? Yeah. You've made the moon, and therefore that makes me think of my place in God's creation. Yeah, it's incredible and incredible. And there's so much to grasp and understand about the vastness mm-hmm. of the universe, but also, as you say, the particularity mm-hmm. and the uniqueness and the finiteness that there's all, there's like a there's like an infinite expanse, but there's also... Um, infinite complexity yes as you go down complexity yeah irreducible irreducible complexity it's it's uh, uh, incredible and the the truth is is that that vastness and the minutiae of those little that that irreducible complexity is reflective of the vastness and the irreducible complexity of god that's right it's amazing i don't think i said this in a previous episode but i have referred to richard swenson a medical doctor from wisconsin he wrote a book uh, where he talked about we are right in the middle of that whole concept, the God mm. of the all and the God of the small, as Richard K. Ellison, a late Christian performer, would say. I, I believe that universe, if it were measured, I forgot the exact stat, but it's it's a, a, a one meter times like 70th power or something like that. Yeah. But then if you reduce the smallest atom, it's one meter to the negative 70th. And again, I, I those stats are not exact. I don't remember them, but I remember that we are one to the one or uh, one... One meter, because the average person is between five and six feet tall. So we are right in the middle. And think of that incredible truth, objective truth, that the as far as the as as far as the universe is big, it's also small. And we as mankind are right in the middle, which again blows our mind to the symmetry of the universe. And I'll have to dig up that stat for another episode just to correct myself. But think of that. (laughs) We are exactly in the middle Uh, of the expanse expanse of God's creation, as opposed to thinking we're just so small well we're also we have no idea what is under the microbiome of our guts i know you know let alone the dirt under our toenails or or the the soil so that is the way god can and should be worshiped as being in control of all things and yet he knows us by name back to that other yep. example yeah I, no one out there i think pretends or thinks that we're going to pretend to be scientists so i think no we can. no yeah. <laughs> yeah it's all good I, what i love about this psalm too uh paul is how it uh it it describes how they're proclaiming the glory of God and that it's that the the vastness and the smallness, like all of the creation that we see that reflects the beauty of God, that it's worship. Yes. That it's it's worshiping God constantly and and day after day and night after night. I mean, there's not a there's not a time where what God has made is not reflecting the glory and the wonder and the majesty of 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 him and it, and that's what draws us through what he has made to understand and and know that he exists. That that's right. There. The operative phrase being in Psalm 119 or Psalm 19 one, the glory of God. That's really the operative phrase that yep. sets the tone for the rest of that psalm. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so another passage Let's, let's turn to another one, uh, is Romans chapter 1. And if you want to talk about two classic passages when yes. we talk about general revelation, it's really Psalm 19 and Romans 1 would be like two prime ones to go to. Mm-hmm. Romans chapter 1, Paul's writing to this church in Rome, and he's helping them to understand the context that they're in. And this is, you know, obviously Roman Empire, first century. It's a pretty, pretty challenging place. 
Uh, and what he's describing is is how we're all uh, on equal footing in in uh, in in having known that God exists and being and being uh, culpable for knowing right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And so the the words that that he writes in Romans one eighteen and following is this. Uh, the wrath of God's being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And then this is the key, the key sentences here. Since what may be made known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse." And what this what this tells us is that the vastness, the the incredible irreducible complexity, like all of the things that are so good, they're so beautiful about this creation and 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 glorious, that those draw us into a knowledge of God exists and he's powerful, mm-hmm. his eternal power, his divine nature. They're being seen so that we are without excuse. There's a sense of culpability, there's a sense of a of an understanding of that vastness and my smallness. Yes. Uh, and that, I think, I mean, honestly, your listeners, if you, that, I hope that penetrates your heart because mm-hmm. if, if you, if you think about, um, how, how you're, you know, uh, interpreting the world, right. more than likely you're going to feel a sense of that at some point And you're going to wonder, is there something more? That's what this is describing. That's right. And let's remember, whenever I read that passage, Brent, I usually think of what has been made as the outside, right? Okay. You got the stars, we got the plants, we got yeah. the roads, our bodies too. And that reminds me of Psalm 139. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And yeah. so is every other air breathing image bearer in the history of the world. So you think of that recently, uh, I had a little back injury because I danced like the Blues Brothers in my final show. And for two weeks, I've been living around. <laughs> so finally, I went to my uh, chiropractor and to kind of get a little adjustment there. But my thought is, it's interesting on any single part of the body, whether it's a stub toe or a sore back or a, a gastrointestinal thing or cancer or yeah. whatever the issue is, yeah. that, that the whole body suffers from it. But you got to remember, ah, any of that pain reminds us that God designed us in a certain way to function. If it's off, well, then we want to call upon his name, but also long for that new body that is incorruptible on the yep. new earth. Yep, it's true. And I think our experience day to day of living in well, this beautiful place God has made, and even with all of the evil and the ways that it's it's not functioning in a healthy way, yes. I mean, let's be honest, the curse of creation, the curse mm-hmm. of sin, um, is that we still get this sense that there is something more and that there's something wrong with me. Yes. And that's what Romans 1 is getting at, is uh, that there is a, a revelation of God's eternal power and divine nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if I got the wording of that right... Well, you said I read the word it, eternal, eternal again. Power, that's kind of becoming eternal a Eternal power theme. and divine nature. Eternal power. Yeah, but that, it, that no one's... That we're without excuse. There's... there's to, deep down, uh, Augustine, uh, the great theologian mm-hmm. Augustine, he talks about a God-shaped hole. Mm-hmm that there is a sense of this uh, awareness of something more mm-hmm. and that Paul is drawing attention to that because he's saying that's the universal reality of all people. And so that's the, that's how we understand when we talk about um, biblically, when we talk about the terms kind of objective truth and subject versus subjective, when we talk about objective truth in scripture, there's two ways that we understand who God is. One is general revelation so general revelation is what we've just been talking about with Psalm 19 and Romans 1. Mm-hmm. It's where we see that God does exist and that 
I need to find my place in the reality of that. Yes. And I understand that there's some things that are not right about this place and about me. And it's like a, the sense of culpability morally. Yes. That you're guilty. That's what mm-hmm. that word means. Yes. Guilty uh, uh, of sin. A sense of that deep down, but also a sense of the the grandness and greatness of, of man, there, if God exists. Yes. Like, I want to know him, but I also understand my... Like something, there's something wrong. <laughs> That's right. And I think we're going to begin wrapping up pretty quick because yep. we're going to go to yep. part two with revealed truth uh, as opposed to the um, the general revelation, salvific revelation, as we'll talk about in a little. But yep. I, I, you triggered for me uh, Hebrews 11, 6. And that's without faith, it is impossible yeah. to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that's what we've been talking about. Yep. Creation testifies to God's existence. But then the second part of, of Hebrews eleven six we'll talk about in the next episode and that he rewards those who seek him. How do you seek God? Isn't yeah. just by looking at the moon and the stars. It's by looking at his revealed word in scripture. That's exactly right. And that's where we're going next in the next episode because we're going to, we've talked general revelation. We want to go and spend a whole episode talking about special revelation yes and special revelation and this is where i want to challenge your hearts or your or you t- listeners when, when we talk about the need for objective truth when we talk about the reality that god exists that longing to know him to know that obje- objective reality of, of the greatness grandness of him to be near him to be in relationship with him with all those things to rely upon his revealing of himself through creation and through uh, when he speaks and through his word and through you know his angelic messengers, all those things mm-hmm. in the way that the Bible describes special revelation, but namely through scripture, mm-hmm. it requires trust. Yes. Because when we move from relative truth to biblical truth, we are moving from a trust and reliance in me. Yes. In what I think and what I feel and what I desire, a trustworthiness in my heart and what, what, you know, what comes up from within me and my my own flesh, that trust uh, needs to be um, transferred or given to. We need to trust in the greatness and grandness of the eternal, all powerful, all knowing God who yes. has made you and you're fearfully, wonderfully made. Yes. And friends, I just want to challenge you with that word: Who or what do you trust in? And if you live in that realm of relative truth, like you got to understand where your trust is lying and, and that that is going to come back void. It's not going to be, uh, it's not going to result in a good ending. It's not going to lead to, to goodness and flourishing in your life. It's not going to lead you to God. It's not going to lead to uh, your salvation. We need to move into a reality of the objective truth of God because we need to trust in him and what he has done and said. That's right. And I'll just add as my own little addendum as we wrap up that uh, we don't want to trust in other people ultimately. Now we trust in them in the spirit. And yes, there's something about trusting people's sage advice and having many counselors, but ultimately put no trust in another person, certainly above the Lord. Just this morning, my devotions had me in Psalm 62, Mm. Psalm 62, 8, Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. And so that is a good word for the day as we wrap up this episode 20 of Roots and Branches at New Life Evangelical Free Church. Look forward to the next episode 21 where we talk about the revealed truth in the scriptures. I'm Paul Arneberg with Pastor Brent Compelin. Have a great day.